Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. What a service so far. What a day. What a topic. Purpose. So if you're new here, if you've not joined us for any of the three services leading up to this point in terms of the series, what you're going to get from me in the next 30 minutes is what the point of your entire life is in 30 minutes or less. I mean, you know, no, I jest, like genuinely. It's a huge topic, right? What, what is the point? Why are we here? What is it that we have to do? These are the kind of the big questions we've been grappling with within creation, within humanity as a whole, within the church. And now for us as individuals, why are we here? What is the point? And I wanted to start somewhere that I hope is, is somewhat obvious. I want to start with a statement of sort of this is why we are here. Because what I want to do is I want to then build from that and talk about how we live out our purpose If this is our purpose, if we take this as accepted, then how do we live our lives today? What difference does it make to us? What is required of us? Is there something for us to do because of our purpose? And of all the people that have written on purpose over all of the years, and trust me, it's a long list, right? Thousands of years worth of history, of writing, of philosophy, of religion, of thought have gone into why are we here and what on earth is the point. But one of the people that said it best for me was a man named Augustine who was writing in about 350 AD. And he said it this, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find themselves in you. Anybody notice that the world feels a little bit restless at the moment? Not just in terms of the things we've talked about already, but a whole host of things. Global warming, climate change, poverty, war, famine, social media, (laughs) anxiety, mental health, this growing climate that we find ourselves in. There's huge levels of dis-ease, of angst, of restlessness. And Augustine said, 16, 1700 years ago, I think he hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> you have made us for yourselves. You've made us for you, O oh Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find their home in you. You know, a few weeks ago, Mark was speaking about creation and about humanity's role within creation. And he started with a story, and it goes something like this. It's in the beginning, God created, right? And there was evening, and there was morning, and there's rhythm, and there's things being birthed, and there's promise, and there's hope, and there's newness, and there's goodness. But one thing that there isn't in Genesis 1 to 2 is perfection, is completion. Creation is pregnant, it's poised, it's ready. It's got everything that it needs to achieve completion, but it's not yet complete. Because when God makes man and 
woman. And he gives them creation. He calls them not just to care for it and to protect for it, but to steward it, to nurture it, to grow it. Right? And so within that promise, within that call as humanity, there is a, there's a reason, a bigger purpose here than simply just inhabiting the earth. But to take the earth from what was good, what was very good, and in partnership with the God who created them, who called them, who loved them, who purposed them, to bring it to completion. And it's this kind of thing that I want to land in and around today. Because the reality is this. I couldn't talk about your purpose as an individual without also thinking through your purpose within church, your purpose within humanity, your purpose within creation. Because none of us live in isolation as purely individualistic selves. None of us live as sole entities. All of us live within a context, whether that be church, humanity, or creation. We find ourselves within these spheres. And so as much as I'm going to talk about your purpose as the individual today, we're going to be picking up on themes from weeks one through three. So if you've not heard them yet, if you've not listened to them, forgive me. (laughs) But please do go back and listen to the podcast. Catch up on YouTube. Work back through this stuff with us, because it's impossible for me to talk about you without also mentioning church humanity, and creation. Is that all right? We talked about last week, Dina brought an amazing message on church, and she started off by saying a whole load of things that church wasn't before landing on some of the things that church is. And again, it's some of the things, because these are big topics, right? But one of the things she talked about, which she talked about church, is tidal. She didn't quite use that language, but there was gatheredness and there was scatteredness. There was this coming and going within the life of the church. We gather together weekly, sometimes more regularly, sometimes less regularly, but we gather together on a regular basis to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be empowered, uplifted, and then to be released back into the here's, the there's, and the everywheres of our localities. We gather together so that we might catch something off one another, to be able to look somebody else in the eye at least once a week and go, I'm with you in this. To learn together so that when we're scattered, we've been resourced. We have something to go with. It's not just a case of coming and receiving and, oh, great, that was good, I'll see you next time. But a chance to come together, to receive together to learn together, to be uplifted together, so that when we are scattered, we have something to take with us that's more than just the sum of our individual parts. But is that it? Is that simply your purpose? To be caught up within creation and looking after it. To be caught up within the tide of church to be brought here once a week or more regularly or less regularly or whenever it is and then to be washed out into the week. Is that it? Is that all that God has for us? You know, growing up in church, I heard this sort of phrase a lot, both in services, in youth camps, kids camps. It was something along these lines. You'll have probably heard something similar to it if you've been around church for long enough. God loves you and has a plan for your life. 
And every word of that is true. But it's not the whole truth. And I want to just play with some of this stuff this morning. Because you see, looking back, if I'm really honest, God's plan for my life sounded a little bit like an instruction manual for my Kia. Now, I don't know what your relationship is with flat pack furniture. It's probably hit and miss at best. Okay? But kind of the idea was that there was a singular way, a singular route at which I was going to arrive at this destination that God had laid out for me. And that as long as I followed steps one, two, and three, and had all of the right, I was going to say ingredients, you're not going to eat your cabinet or your sofa at the end of the day, all of the right tools that I needed, all of the right materials that were going to be needed for this plan that God had laid out before me, then maybe just one day I could aspire to being a sofa. Or, you know what I mean. And it seemed that simple. And so I put so much pressure on myself of what, step, what is step one? Because I don't want to end up at step three and realize I've missed two steps because that's a terrible way to build a wardrobe. <laughs> Goes horribly wrong, right? If you move out of sequence. And so we, we labor over each individual next step. And then suddenly we realize that we've completed this thing that we thought we were meant to build and we've got pieces left over. What is that about in flat pack furniture? And so somehow you go, well, hang on, I've got all this extra resource available to me. Maybe I've missed a step. <laughs> maybe, I've, maybe I've missed something in the instructions. Maybe I've not quite followed this plan to the letter. And I've observed people in my own age bracket, people older than me, I've had conversations with over the years who have got so far down this plan that God has for them and gone, I don't know if I've got this right. I feel like I missed a step when I was 18. And now I've been working in a job that is fine. But I don't particularly enjoy. I don't feel like it's where God wants me. Or I don't know how he could use me in this area. I, I feel like I've missed God's plan for my life. Or maybe you've got so far and realized that the bag of ingredients you started with isn't quite the bag that you now need. <laughs> and you know, I didn't realize we changed what we were building here, God. You know, come on. Maybe, maybe I haven't followed this plan. Maybe I've missed something. Maybe I got it wrong. And so we add pressure to ourselves to make sure we have all the right bits before even starting out. To follow the steps to the letter, not swerving in either direction, lest we miss the final destination that God has for us. And it's probably essential before you start step one that you know exactly where God is calling you to. Because how on earth do you build something when you don't know what the end result is going to be? And yet in all of this talk of purpose, I feel like the overwhelming message of the New Testament isn't one of destination or of objective or goal, but it's of trust and it's of faithfulness. To trust that God, by your grace, you've given me all of the right materials. To trust that when you ask me to move on to step four, that you know what steps five, six, and seven are.
I don't need to know whether through my life you're building a wardrobe or a sofa or a desk or a table lamp. I just need to know that you have the resources I need and in your timing, I'll have it. There's a philosopher in the 18th century called Kierkegaard and he talked about it like this. He said, the challenge of life, and I'm paraphrasing, the paradox of life is that it's lived forwards but understood in reverse. And so many of the people that inspired me as a young Christian, as an early Christian, I should say, were people that seemed to have got towards the end of their life, to the end of their ministry and gone, this is my purpose. But they didn't explain about the decades of uncertainty, of not knowing whether they had the right resources or have done the right steps in the right order. But they'd arrived towards the end of their journey and gone, I know why God put me here. And so my encouragement to you as somebody who is, I hope, nowhere near the end of either my life or my ministry or the thing that God has called me to do, is to just lean into that trust and that faithfulness. (laughs) And to trust that he has it in hand. Because purpose is rarely as simple as a set of instructions. And if we're really honest, even flat pack furniture feels a little bit beyond us most of the time. <laughs> because we get things wrong, don't we? We do, let's be honest. Right? I look at some of the decisions that I set out for, believing that they were things that God had called me to, and I look back now and go, what on earth was that about? <laughs> what did I think I was doing? Was it wrong? No. Was it God's plan for my life? Maybe. we misunderstand we know imperfectly we flounder, we flummox we make a hash of things and then we start again we take the next step lean into the next thing that we believe God's calling us to and I just wonder as I've been reflecting on this myself is it any wonder that even somebody like Paul the Apostle says this in Romans 7. He says, For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. That I have the desire to do what is good, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living within me. Even the great apostle... (laughs) The one who, if anybody in the New Testament, aside from Jesus, was like clearly Paul knew that he, I'm a wardrobe kind of a guy, right? He knew what he was about, where he was going, what God was calling him to. And even Paul looks back and goes, there's a whole host of things I do that I do not wish to do. And so if it's true of Paul, I just wonder whether it's okay for it to be true of me and of you. You see, one of the challenges that I face as a young person growing up, when we talked about purpose, when we talked about destiny, about the things that God had placed inside of us to do, there seemed to be three main types of people that talked to us about that stuff. And they were pastors, preachers, and overseas missionaries. Right? And so, never explicitly, I never remember it being an explicit thing where God's purpose for your life is to be a preacher, pastor, or an overseas missionary. But the only people that ever seemed to talk about that stuff were those three people, right? (laughs) 
And so you think maybe God's only got a purpose for pastors, preachers, and overseas missionaries. Or maybe the scope of God's purposes in all of its breadth for my life is to become either a pastor, a preacher, or overseas missionary. Now, I happen to have become two of those things. <laughs> but the scope and the breadth of God's purpose for creation, for humanity, for church, if creation is to flourish to the extent that God intended it to, it's going to take way more than pastors, preachers, and overseas missionaries. Let's just run the maths for a minute, right? I like my statistics, you know that. 7.9 billion people on planet Earth right now, give or take. I checked this morning. Right. <laughs> of those 7.9 billion people, my, my mind boggles at that number, by the way. I'm just like, I, I'm, pff, huge, right? Approximately 2.4 billion of those profess to be some form of practicing Christian. If God's plan and purpose for all of those 2.4 billion Christians was to be either a pastor, a preacher, or an overseas missionary, they would each have either a congregation or a mission field of 3.3 people. <laughs> and when you start to boil those numbers down, doesn't that just sound a little bit preposterous? <laughs> And yet we do, don't we? We buy into this all the time. We go, well, it's all right for you, pastor, to say that God has a plan for your life. The Bible's filled with pastors who God had a plan for their life. What about the painter and decorators? What about the social workers, the builders, the brickies? What about the nurses, the doctors? What about the unemployed, the artists, the self-employed, the previously employed, the retired, the... Is God's purpose for us so narrow that it only includes 1% of the Christian population, less than 1%, approximately 2 million pastors, there or thereabouts, on planet Earth, for 2.4 billion people? Is God's purpose so narrow that it only encompasses the 1%? What about the 99%? And it's this that I want to kind of come towards as we, as we consider some things going through. Because in a world that appears to be so volatile, so unpredictable, so beyond so much of our control as individuals, from global warming to global pandemics, to unfolding global events, that seem so much more localized now than ever before, Everything seems closer now, doesn't it? With all the pain and suffering that we experience or witness in the lives of those we love almost on a daily basis, and when so much seems out of alignment with God's plans and purposes for creation, humanity, for the church, and for us as individuals, what do we do? Whatever we do, it's going to take way more than pastors, preachers, and overseas missionaries. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, he says this, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. There is something happening 
in us. There is something happening through us. In all of the mess, in all of the normality, in all of the flat pack furnitures and dinner tables and meals with friends and arguments with loved ones, in all of that stuff, Paul says that the present suffering pales in insignificance in contrast to the coming glory that is being revealed in and through us, even in the mess. And most of the time, I haven't got the foggiest idea how, (laughs) if I'm really honest. But when we think about the glory of God being revealed in us, doesn't that sound more like God's purpose for creation? If the purpose of creation is to reveal the glory of God, to declare his handiwork, to witness to the creator. If our job as humanity is to take that creation, to steward, to nurture, to grow that, so that the glory of God doesn't just get quieter through levels of extinction or through misuse of the world we've been given but in theory if we do our job right as stewards of creation the glory of God should increase exponentially generation upon generation year upon year as we take this thing that God called good and we grow it thereby growing the glory of God and the worship of God and the things that he's called us to and Paul goes on to say this He says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Sons and daughters. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is, in fact, some plan and purpose that God is working out through us, in us. And yes, it's a plan for your life. But within the context of his plan for the cosmos, within the breadth of his plan for creation, there is a part that we get to play. There is something he has for us to do. But it's not as small as steps one, two, three, four, and five. Because it's about more than me. It's about everything. Every fiber, every fabric, every atom, from the smallest of scales to the largest of planets, all of this is being worked out in the purposes of God. And you and I, have a part to play. As we were praying for the Ukraine a few minutes ago, I was thinking back to 2003. Significant year. 2003 was the year that we invaded Afghanistan. 2001 was the year we invaded Iraq. I remember sitting at 8 a.m. in the morning before school watching the news. wanting there to be something that was bigger than me to be a part of.
beginning to wonder that maybe, maybe a war, maybe a fight, maybe a cause big enough for me to be found in. It took me probably another decade of working through some of those things. I haven't been to Bible college, discovered theology and the big story of God to realize that even world events, big as they are, are a small part in comparison to the plan that God is outworking within creation. And suddenly localized militaristic conflicts didn't seem big enough for me anymore. Didn't seem significant enough. And that's not to diminish the impact that these things have on localities, on people. I know the history, I know the stories. But it's to say that even in all these things, there is a larger purpose that is being outworked. And I don't understand most of it. I don't know. I do know that I practice imperfectly. I stumble, I falter, I make a mess of things. I get up and I start again. Trusting that in all of this, there is a plan. And somehow my life makes a difference in it. Later on in Romans, Paul says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. After all, We know that God works all those who love him together for good according to his purposes. Somehow in the mess, in the imperfections, in the failures, in the successes, in the wins, in the high points, in the good stuff, the things we write home about, the things we tell stories about, Somewhere in the midst of it all, as individuals who make up a part of a church, of those who love God, somehow through it all, God works those who love him together for good. Full stop. Good with a capital G. Because that's his purpose. That's his purpose. That's where this is headed, right? I may not know a huge amount, or I may not feel like I know a huge amount about how my life impacts that, but I do know a few things, and I want to share them with you today. Some convictions that I have, some things that I think I know. I think at its most simplest, what God has for us as individuals, the purpose that he has for us. If we listen to verses like Romans 8.28 and take them seriously, 
the purpose God has for your life can best or perhaps simply be summarized. Be good. Do good. Bring good. Do good. Be good. Bring good. And you're probably sat there going, Dan, I've been listening to you for about 25 minutes now. And I've been here for the last four weeks thinking about creation, humanity, and the church. And you've essentially told me to be good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it is as simple as that. But of course, we all know. We all know that being good, doing good, and bringing good is really as simple as it seems. It sounds easy. But how do you define good? What is good? What does it look like in this context? Not just on a global scale, but what does it look like in your workplace? It probably depends on where you work, right? Do good, be good, bring good. And there's a few things I want to suggest to us. But as I say, I wanted to start with the things that I do know. I know this, I know that God is making right what has gone wrong in the world. I, I know that. I believe that with all of my heart. If you cut me through, that's what runs through me. God is making right all that has gone wrong in the world in time and space. He is in the business of diligently, patiently, painstakingly making right what has gone wrong. That's the first thing I know. The second thing I know is this. God's kingdom is here and it's near. And it's also not quite yet. And I think part of what that is, is you see glimpses of the kingdom. Of moments where God has finished making right something that's gone wrong. I think we see that in instances of miracles in the New Testament or in modern day. Where something that was dead is now alive. Something that could not move is now moving. Something that seemed impossible now seems possible. Those are all instances or evidence of God's kingdom in the here and the near. We see snapshots of it in anticipation of that day where God's kingdom comes in fullness. And the work of making right what has gone wrong is finished. But until that point, we get snapshots, we get hints, we get glimpses, we get, did you see that? Did you hear about that? I know that that kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And I know that because of the type of king that sits on its throne. A king who, when living under oppression from an empire, decided that there were some causes that weren't worth killing for, but there were causes worth dying for. And instead of lifting up his sword or exercising the fullness of his authority as God, didn't exploit that, but instead humbled himself even to death, death on a cross, and thereby bringing peace into the world. I know that that kingdom of peace confronts so much of what's in me. So much of it that I don't understand. So much of it that I don't know what that looks like in time and space. 
but I know that the king that sits on the throne is a prince of peace. And I know that at the very core of peace, that feeling, that climate, that atmosphere, that temperament of peace, justice and mercy are central to the peace that God is bringing about. You might say to me, Dan, what is justice? What is mercy? Mercy, at its simplest, is caring for those who have suffered in this wrong. While God is in the business of making right what has gone wrong, mercy is caring for, bandaging, nurturing, those that have experienced wrong. That's what mercy is. And justice is the intentional dismantling of the things that cause wrong. Justice and mercy are central to the kingdom of peace. Because without the people dedicated to dismantling that which is causing wrong. We'll only ever be mopping up the causes of wrong. But equally, if we only ever dismantle that which is causing wrong, we will never truly care for those that have experienced wrong. And in order for peace to reign, you need both. So what is God's purpose for your life? It's to live justly. Live mercifully. In doing that, I'm fairly certain that more often than not, you'll be good. You'll do good. You'll bring good. Things will change. Because where justice and mercy flow, peace follows. It's a a byproduct. So what about you? I said a little bit earlier that this wasn't a message about the 1%. This was for the 99%. For the painters, decorators, for the social workers, health visitors, artists, support workers, teachers, the unemployed, the recently employed, the retired, the civil servants, the civil engineers, the scientists. The chefs. The lorry drivers, those who work in infrastructure and support. Those who work in hospitality, whose job it is, is to help us deal with what we feel and what we experience and to give us somewhere safe to be for a short while, whether that be a restaurant or a hotel or wherever it is. And so in thinking about your job or where you work or where you rest or where you play, whether it's a job you love or hate, whether it's a job you believe God gave to you or one that you've just got, (laughs) 
whether you have a sense of purpose and a sense of idea and plan and steps and whether you think you've got the right things or the wrong things for the job in hand. As you think about all of these things, I want us to work backwards. There's just some questions. Does where you are prevent you from disengaging from places, people or systems that cause the damage of people, humanity or creation? Is where you are or what you do, does it harm others? Does it harm creation? Does it harm humanity? If the answer is no, there's probably purpose in it somewhere. Does it prevent you from bandaging up the bloodied by life? Does it by its nature stop you from caring for people? If the answer is no, there's purpose in it. Does it prevent God from bringing peace in time and space? If the answer is no, there's purpose in it. Does it prevent you from either being, doing, or bringing good? If the answer is no, there's purpose in it. Does it prevent me from being gathered as part of church? Does it stop you from being gathered with God's people? Because if the answer is no, there's purpose in it. Does it prevent me from being scattered into the here's, there's and everywheres of our locality? Because if the answer is no, there's purpose in it. Now here's the catch. If the answer is yes. If the answer is yes. I'd encourage you as Christians to think about the plan that God has for creation, for humanity, for the church. Think about the skills you have, the experiences you've got, the opportunities you might have available to you. And to simply begin to join in with his plan, wherever you get the chance to, wherever there's an opportunity, whatever sphere that's in because I guarantee you statistically 99% of God's plans and purposes for creation, humanity, the church and you as an individual will be outworked well outside the walls of this church well outside and so as you think about your own context Just begin to think through, does this actually stop me from doing any of the things that God calls us to as individuals? And if the answer is no, how can I start doing them in as many ways as I have the opportunity to? In as many places as I have available to me? How can I do good, be good or bring good? into every circumstance and situation that I face. Because the good news is this. 
is that there is purpose laced in almost every fabric of creation itself. All of it being worked together. All of it pulling in the same direction towards completion, towards perfection, towards fulfillment that God ordained at the beginning of time and is stretching out through space. And in every fiber of creation, there is purpose. It doesn't just take pastors, preachers, and overseas missionaries to cause the flourishing of church, humanity, and creation. It takes health visitors, doctors, nurses, scientists, engineers, builders and bricklayers, plasterers, gardeners, social workers. It takes those who work in hospitality and service industries. It takes those working in clean and green energies, in cleaning and recycling, in refuse, in services that bring order to our disorder, accountants and mathematicians and police officers and civil servants and civil engineers. It takes children, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, and people that we fall out with on a regular basis. Each and every one able to do good, be good, and bring good. As God works, those who love him together for good according to his purposes. I'd like to invite the band to join me, please. few months ago I was thinking some of this stuff through just in my own I guess my own devotions, my own following of Jesus, my own trust and my own faithfulness in him I was looking at some of the things that were happening within the world to do with climate change and modern day slavery and the endemic issue of racism in our world whole load of things that have seemed to have reached boiling point over the last few years or perhaps simply my awareness of them has changed over the last few years and I began reflecting on the life death and resurrection of Jesus and what is if this is the story the story that changes all stories what does that mean for me as we face these huge issues, issues of injustice, a lack of compassion and care for an overly developed sense of individuality. For an arrogance and an anger towards those who are simply different from us often for no other reason than they have different experiences to us. And as I started to think about this, I thought, if we believe, and this is an if, right? If we believe that the death, resurrection, and life of Jesus 
heralded the end of sin and death, as Pastor Sarah was talking about earlier. And if we believe that that calls for the end of injustice as a servant of sin and death, then what it means for me is this. It means that the places in my life that prolong and propagate injustice, the places in my life that breed injustice, that depend on injustice, that capitalize on injustice, those places are at cross purposes with God's plans within time and space. And that touches everything. I don't know the ins and outs of your lives. I don't know the depths of your lives. But I know mine, most of mine. We've all got our blind spots. And without having to think too long or too hard, I began to think of some places, some spaces in my life that were dependent on injustice or that caused injustice in the lives of others. Whether that be somebody I know personally, somebody that I will never meet, but the supply chain's dependent on them. And the places in my life that are dependent on that injustice across purposes with the plans of God and I'll be honest nearly a year on from starting to think that stuff through I still have a way to go I still don't know what to do with half the places I'm aware of from as broad a spectrum as what food we eat to the clothes we wear the things we say and speak over other people I don't know what to do with half of it. But I know that the story of Jesus, of his life, death, and resurrection, requires me to rethink it. That's my commitment to you. That's my commitment to you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is to spend my life trying to identify all the places in my life that the story of Jesus wants to bring transformation, wants to limit injustice, wants to turn over death. Because God is making right what has gone wrong in the world. His purposes will play out. And my life joins with your life, with lives of 2.4 million Christians around the world and the 7.8 billion Worldwide, It joins with two million pastors. It joins with those in Ukraine and in Russia, on both sides of the border. My story joins with theirs, and in the mess, somehow, God brings good. Would you stand? If you're able to, I'd just love to pray for us. And I mean that genuinely. Pray for us, not just pray for you. (laughs) Because, as I've said, I've got a way to go. 
I expect for the rest of my life to be discovering places that Jesus wants to bring transformation in my life. It's a lifetime's work, a lifetime of trust and of faithfulness and of following, a lifetime ultimately of mess and mistakes and new starts. But somewhere in the midst of it all, Jesus is king and God will bring good. So this morning, King Jesus, we pray to you. We ask for your help, for your wisdom, for your guidance. We ask for a fresh reminder of your grace. We ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit to guide us, to lead us, to highlight the things in us, the places and spaces of our lives that cause and are dependent on injustice. We dedicate ourselves again to be good, to bring good, to do good in the here's, the there's and the everywheres. And we ask that in your wisdom, in your timing, you would work us together knitting our stories and the fabric of creation into one singular story and that you would bring about good once and for all Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.